Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast, the world's reigning heavyweight champion of geek talk on the internet. I am your host, Jeremy, and running in and out of the room today with me will be my co-host, Ollie the Geekish Greyhound. Uh, so ignore any barking you hear. Uh, guys, joining me today, we have Daniel Swenson and Joshua Unruh, uh, who have put together a tale or a series of tales done in the old pulp style with a modern twist called Masks and Mysteries. So, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Thank you for joining me. And Joshua, how are you today? Very well. Perfect. So you guys are working together on this as uh, writing partners. Who does what? Kind of how do you guys fit together as a writing team? Well, um, I this was originally an idea of mine that I was kicking around for a really long time, like years and years and years. And I never really got it together. I mean, I... Um, I sort of did it in a in a like a role playing game venue for a few years, and then I just leave it leave it lie. And finally, one day I was telling Josh about it, and as I recall, he got very very excited. Um, <laughs> I will do that. Yes, as he does. Josh has a lot of enthusiasm; and it's very infectious. And um, so I tentatively put it forward, I was like, "Well, what if we worked on this idea together and put out like a serialized, uh, you know." T- t- set of stories that kind of like interlocked together eventually like started out being just sort of this discrete set of stories and then kind of eventually came together into one longer group of stories and we could build a timeline and kind of build sort of an alternate history and uh and he really liked that idea and that's where we started and so josh has kind of been the um the promotional side of things because he he's a lot more involved with like the podcast community and stuff than I am in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really more into organizing things as, as, as uh, Josh will tell you. Yeah. God. <laughs> so I do, I do all of the um, sort of the back end world building organization things. I have a lot of digital index cards that I put together so that we can keep all of our stories straight as we're working together. So when when you guys are working together, are is one of you responsible for narration and the other for dialogue? Or uh, not having worked with a collaborator on a writing project, I don't really know how that sort of thing works. Do you guys both come up with both parts? Kind of give me an idea. So you're getting ready to sit down and work on one. Who's responsible for what in the actual writing? Josh, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So. We have, in every issue that we put out, there are two separate stories, Mm -hmm. typically. That's what our plan is, and it's what it's been so far. And one is sort of more mine, and one is more Daniel's. And the reason I characterize it that particular way is that we have... We bring our own very definite idea of what we want to do, and we make the main character up more or less on our own, you know, Mm -hmm. give or take... But then, and that usually leads to uh, us having an idea of how the first, you know, how the arc would go generally. And then we wind up bouncing individual plot ideas off one another. So I, I guess we'd probably say that we write them more or less separately, but we co-plot. Okay. 
That makes yeah. sense. Now, since you've got two separate tales in each volume you're doing, are they in a shared universe? Are they completely independent of each other? Do you, have you even thought about that? Oh yeah, they're they all of the tales so far take place in the fictional uh, environment of Empire City, which is a uh, a fictional city that is in New York State, um, and all of the characters that we've created so far are in in the city, and. Uh, we have separate main characters for our stories, like Josh said, but we have a already large and ever-growing stable of shared supporting characters. Um, like we we have like a backlog of characters already um, that we each want to put in future stories, and the plan eventually is to bring all of these main characters together in various team-ups, like you would in kind of a comic book storyline. Um, have them come together and and you know whatever, fight crime together for a little while and maybe separate and, you know, get into all of the sort of drama you, you get together, you do, you do when you can right. tell that kind of story. Well, so I've read, I've quickly read through the first two volumes. I, I got to make two quick comments that I just, I loved about it. First off, the dialogue all sounds like stuff that uh, people that went to school with FDR would read. It's all very <laughs> up in the nose, very clipped, very quick and East Coast sounding. Um the other thing I want to say is that, like, the Green Hornet is one of my all-time favorite old-school characters. That's kind of, I mean, he's kind of pulp, kind of not. He was more radio fiction pulp, post-pulp. But um, that's definitely the same kind of feel I get, at least from, like, the Black Mask. Let me tell you mm-hmm. that the Black Mask is literally me. Okay, so if we can, <laughs> we can talk for a minute about the the thing that, really separates empire city from pulps mm-hmm. as that, that Daniel and I did with, with a lot of purpose is that um, I mean, those were written in a time when all of your protagonists were going to be straight white dudes yes, and usually very moneyed straight white dudes. And we, we really want to, uh, to take those pulp stories, but then place people into the, into the hero parts that do not necessarily fit that mold. Um, and Black Mask is 100% me. I think I even said, I would like to do Green Hornet, but not be another rich white dude. Let me decide how to do that. Mm-hmm. And and Black Mask is is exactly that, uh, how I got to that place. Because I also love the Green Hornet. He is my first legacy hero. Um, I, I really did cartwheels when I discovered that he was uh, the Lone Ranger's great nephew. Um, so... You know, I, I have a I have a near and dear spot for Green Hornet also, and that's really I think how I pitched Black Mask to Daniel was I'm trying to figure out how to do Green Hornet, but not Britt Reed. Yeah, know? that's amazing. Um, years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I was sitting in a bar where me and a friend played uh, darts a lot. You know, and, there, and I'm going to say an older guy. He was probably younger than I am now. But there was an older guy sitting there with a friend talking about the Lone Ranger next to me, and I said, "You guys don't know nothing about the Lone Ranger." <laughs> <laughs> And this, you know, we kind of, kind of bannered back and forth. The guy goes, I'll bet you 50 bucks. I can ask you one question that'll shut you up about the Lone Ranger. And I said, all right. And he goes, what was the name of the gang that, that cut down the group of Rangers that the Lone Ranger and his brother were in? So it was the Butch Cavendish gang. So he paid me 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, I see. A sucker bet. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> Because I'm sitting there thinking, that was the dumbest question you could ask anybody that says they know anything about the Lone Ranger right there. For real? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as opposed to, uh, okay, double or no- you if only. Oh, double or nothing, who's his great nephew? Ah, what? Yeah. Come on. 
Oh God, that would have been amazing. Um, so why don't you guys tell us a little bit about some of the characters that you've, that you've got you know, established in your world and some of the things you've got coming up. Uh, well, yeah, I want Josh to take this one cause he's working on a thing right now that he's, okay. I know he's really excited about it. And I've got something too, so, but I want to, I want to follow his lead on this one. So tell him about the victory crusader, Josh. Do we want to jump ahead? We want to do previews first. Oh, um, you know what? Hold on. Let's start with, so you've got volumes one to three out. Yeah. Yes. Why don't you guys tell me a little bit without giving away anything, a little bit about what's going on in those and the characters okay. in those. All right. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, talk about what we're doing what we're doing now yeah. and then what we're doing in the future okay okay daniel i uh, want you to start because your your first story just finished in the big finale of your first story yes. was in issue three so tell us about that one okay well um yeah so lure of the lotus is the first story that i wrote in this universe that was like a full-on short story there was a piece that i wrote before that, which was a piece called 60 Seconds Over Empire City, which was just a piece of flash fiction that I wrote for a contest, which I did not win, by the way. Um, and Lure of the Lotus is about uh, an alien menace, um, a la War of the Worlds, kind of War of the Worlds, the TV series more than the movie, if anyone remembers the TV series. I don't know if they do, but I do. Um, <laughs> so to hell with you all. And that's yeah, the important so, part. That's all I care about. So no, um, but it's about this reporter for for an Empire City newspaper named uh, Andrea Ashby, who is kind of my version of Lois Lane, except she doesn't get kidnapped and imperiled constantly, or she kind of tends to solve her own problems, which is very important to me. Um, who gets him involved in the the death of this uh, local industrialist and has to try and figure out what's going on and uncovers this, this alien conspiracy and, uh, and also gets involved with the, one of the, one of the mystery men of empire city called the whisper, who is this vigilante that all of the, uh, the police are after, um, including one of our more, one of our shared characters, uh, Spitzer Lee Lewis, who is an FBI agent, um, who is famous for, he's kind of like the Elliot Ness of empire city. Um, and yeah, so she she gets involved in the. She, it's kind of the first chapter in opening up this whole alien conspiracy storyline that's going to run as a thread through a whole bunch of our stories for a while until we um, finish it off at a big climax and probably I don't know a year to do I guess of writing. God, it might be that long. I mean, that's the the as a side note, that's the crazy thing is that we're releasing these stories that are three or four parts monthly, and we have a very good idea of where things are going two or three or four stories ahead. Not a, not a per, not like a rock solid idea. We're still, you know, ironing it out and leaving it open for, for potential better ideas. But the idea that we keep talking about this big climax that might be two years away is kind of, (laughs) I both can't wait to get there and I'm scared to death. Yeah. (laughs) What do we do the day after that? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. then we got to come up with a new idea. I mean, I, I have no, I have no doubt that we will, but yeah, we we have so many ideas leading up to it, though, that it's really going to be a while. Um, just to just to qualify my my smart remark about the War of the Worlds TV series, it was a <laughs> series that came out in the '80s and it ran for uh, two seasons, but the first one, as far as I'm concerned, is the only one that counts. Um, and it was about how. Uh, after after the war, it was, it, it was based on the George Powell War of the Worlds, 
and like right down to they had all of the resources they had like the the models of the war machines and everything and the sound effects and the the creature designs and the idea was that uh 50 years later nuclear radiation had seeped into like the government had taken all of the aliens and put them into warehouses and like put them in barrels and things like this and stored away all the war machines kind of like you did it like the end of Raiders of Lost Ark sure and uh and radiation had seeped in and woken them up and and so all the aliens had woken up but they didn't have all of their giant war machines and all their resources anymore so they started waging this this shadow war against humanity they started infiltrating uh society and and uh and you know putting together all these secret plots to try to undermine civilization and tear us all apart from within it was it was more it was it was an 80s thing so it was very you know sort of reaganite right uh, cold so, so dale stuff. let me let me ask you did anybody try sneezing on one of the aliens <laughs> <laughs> they may have yeah i think they had a they did have a whole thing about how the radiation that made them immune to all of the uh, oh okay effects so <laughs> so then we were in real trouble yeah except they were just running around in burlap sacks yeah. like you know it's kind of like it's kind of like the current STDs that are like uh, penicillin proof. Yeah, so oh, I made myself laugh. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you, you're. It's worth saying you're. You talk about how Reaganite, this '80s War of the Worlds thing was, but the '30s is also an excellent time for this. Yeah, because nobody is looking for it, right? Like you had you had Americans in the Nazi Party. And no one really looked sideways at that yet. You know, we weren't the idea of like a like a fourth column where we had to actually worry about, uh, you, you know, saboteurs from other countries. Not really a concern yet. And within a handful of years, it was going to eat America up, you know. Uh, so the the uh, the setting the stage for where there isn't very much paranoia will just really let us ratchet that up to 11 when it's like, wait, that, what's yeah. happening? Who's in charge? You know. No, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, you're right, because, I mean, you really see the paranoia really kick in during the 50s in fiction. Um, you know, the alien menaces and the red menace and all that. Besides, I mean, maybe in the 30s you got a whole bunch of anti-Asian sentiment that's kind of built into things. Um, yeah, even even Flash Gordon, yeah, Flash Gordon was very much yellow peril up until I don't know a year in. But um, yeah, your you're right. In your Fu Manchus, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and well, looking at the pulp stuff, you've got Operator Number Five, who uh, was a West Coast FBI agent who literally repelled an invasion of America every story. So we did not have that interior paranoia, but we were deathly terrified, like as a nation of being invaded oh, yeah. and that would show up in those stories. But because he was West coast, yeah, it was usually some vague Asian nation <laughs> that showed up because it had to be a different one every time. Right. Uh, you know, so yeah, so that's kind of, that's in there. Yeah. No, that's but, all uh, very good. Um, Daniel, real quick here. So your character, the whisper, Yes. Uh, who, if you had to pull an analog out of actual pulp history, who would you compare him to? <laughs> oh, you better tell the truth. No, I don't want to. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Joshua has taken me to task here, so I have to talk about what no, you tell actual... the truth because I will defend you. Oh, okay. Um, the Whisper is based on 
the idea that I had, an idea I had for a pulp hero when I saw the trailer for for uh, the Sam Raimi film Dark Man. Oh, there you go. Um, because I really like the bandages and the hat and the, the the duster, and they have this wonderful line in the Dark Man trailer, which is. Uh, at the end, there's this bit where Liam Neeson is like standing half in shadow, so you can't see like the messed up parts of his face from where he was burned. You can just see his eyes, and this is like that, you know, that noir style shaft of light. And it says, "There is a light that shines on every living being except one." And I was just like, "Oh, I love everything about this." And then I went and saw the movie, and I did not love everything about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I feel like but even I, Sam Raimi would admit that not everything <laughs> happened with Dark Man that should have or could have happened with Dark yeah. Man. Yeah, but I just just the the image of that character as I imagined him as compared to how it executed in the film. That's kind of where the whisper came from. So not not really a uh, an original pulp source, but that's that's where that's where that's from. Well, I was going to say, but overall, when pulp characters weren't super original from story to story, really, were yeah. they? I mean, they were kind no. of a type more than a character. Yeah. Um, um, there is something that I changed. I don't know if you've gotten far enough to for the uh, for the secret identity of the Whisper to be revealed, and I won't give that away because I don't know if that. I think that that's probably in part three. But um, originally, I don't think even Josh knows this. Originally, my my idea for the backstory of the Whisper was the whisper was a was like a jazz crooner who got involved with the wrong people and like they cut his throat and threw him in the river and he survived but he he couldn't he couldn't uh sing or talk anymore and that's why they called him the whisper uh-huh. so that must be in three because i don't remember it from the ones i've read so far yeah okay yeah. well yeah, I'm pretty sure. The the big reveal, the exciting reveal of the Whisper's secret identity. <laughs> nope. Hold yeah, on. Nope. We got we got dogs freaking out. Maybe they'll settle here in a second. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my influences are just bits and pieces of a lot of media that I've seen that I'm not altogether happy with. I mean, um, like if if like all my primary inspirations are are usually like movies because I I watch a lot more movies than I read like pulp books mm-hmm. to my to my shame but that's just the way it is, um, so it's like the Rocketeer and the Shadow and uh, the Phantom and uh, Sky Captain like I can I can list you off a whole bunch of things that I do not care for about Sky Captain but the few things in there that I do like are really gold airplanes and robots. Uh, Airplanes and robots. Yeah, that was also, <laughs> also maybe '30s prototypical pepper pots. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of diesel punk in there too, right? And yeah, there really out. is. Um, well, you know, here's the thing. So, I, I don't know if you guys ever watched pro wrestling back in the day, but do you know who Dusty Rhodes is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so back in the '70s and '80s, you know, you'd have a guy who'd lose a match and he'd have to quit and leave the territory, and they'd come back with a mask and be only vaguely not themselves. It'd be Dusty Rhodes <laughs> in a mask, talking like Dusty Rhodes, but going, oh, no, I'm not Dusty Rhodes. So I had come up with the idea for a fill-in host that would be me claiming to be wearing a luchador mask and a fedora <laughs> in the Dusty Rhodes voice, calling myself the Silver Scorpion. So I, I definitely have nice. melded in my head uh 
Pulp Fiction stuff with modern or semi-modern uh, pop culture. So uh, uh, would would subscribe to the Silver Scorpions newsletter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would I would do that. I would do that thing. Um, so those are I mean the fedora and mask characters are ones. I mean obviously you know I came to them more through the days of their revivals in comic books in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always loved the look of like the, you know, the question, uh, the green horn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when you guys were, were kind of setting up for this, how much of it was, I mean, what was, what was really the source of your interest in it? Was it the feel? Was it, I mean, cause I know a big part of what you're trying to do is introduce modern characters into that kind of storytelling. But how much was the aesthetic and how much was just like a love for that style of character? Really, where where did you first take that bite out of that apple? That is a um, super hard question. I, I know it is, but that's kind well, of what because, I do here. <laughs> because between, between the two of us, there is so much interest in every single thing that you just said that now I'm honestly trying to figure out what was the <gasps> – I do know. I mean, I think if we had to pin it down, it's probably uh, Daniel and Torg. <laughs> no, I mean, really, like, yeah. like when you started telling me this was a, a, you know, Daniel mentioned he did this as a role playing game for a while, and I think Torg was the was the the system and the setting, kinda. Yeah. Yeah, and when he started telling me about that, I was like, well, I would, I would play, write, read. What What do you want me to do with that thing? I will do it. <laughs> Um, and then the yeah. more we talked, the rest of it kind of came out where uh, pulps just got to be really weird. I mean, I like to use a, an example of, um, uh, well, early early Batman comics, which were basically shadow stories where uh, he's fighting a vampire who is pretending to be a monk who is jilting rich people. That's awesome. Come on. You know, or uh, or the spider is fighting a guy who is going to take over upstate New York with an army of rabid animals, rabid. And they just get to be weird in this really specific way. And then we got to the place, I think where we were like, yeah, but what Daniel and I beat ourselves up about being, um, uh, lots of white liberal guilt in our writing because we don't want to only write people that look like us, but that's hard. And uh, am I making enough sense? Daniel, do you think I've kind of got the shape? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, do you uh, do you want me to explain the Torg thing in a little bit more detail? Would that be helpful? Um, I think it would. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Torg was a role playing game that came out in the early '90s, and uh, very simply, the the premise is that it's uh, a bunch of different realities invade Earth, and they all take a sort of a a piece of Earth, and then the that reality is what's real for that part of of Earth. So uh, Britain gets invaded by a fantasy realm. So you have, you know, Excalibur and like fairies and dragons are real there now and all this sort of thing. And then America is half taken over by a sort of a land of the lost dinosaur type thing. Um, and Indonesia is taken over by a horror realm, which is sort of like, like a Victorian Gothic horror type sensibility and so on and so forth. Um and uh, the one that really set my imagination on fire, which was uh, was the Nile Empire, which I think set down in in Egypt, and it was a pulp adventure reality where everything 
like one of the one of the dramatic laws of the universe was that everything was really dramatic and over the top like everything you did had a bunch of obstacles that that stacked in front of you suspensefully until you reached your goal um i mean i'm presuming it's like important things not like you're trying to make your toast in the morning and like you just have to like fight your way through i was just gonna uh, ask you know. is, the, is this the kind of game where you have to skill roll every time you want to brush your teeth no it... no 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 nothing like that okay but but unless uh, the toothpaste is poisoned dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Um, no, but the uh, the main bad guy of Nile of the Nile Empire was this guy named Doctor Mobius or Morbius is one of those two, and he had no shirt and a big hood like Cobra Commander, and he was he fancied himself as a reincarnation of the pharaohs, and he had an army of guys called Shock Troopers who were a bunch of guys who who wore like Egyptian headdresses and also had no shirts and you know ran around in like big armies and 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 couldn't hit anything when they shot at things. And, uh, you know, there were, there were Zeppelins and, and gadgets and all that sort of stuff. And I, I was like, well, I just want to live here, right. but I'll settle yes. for, I will move here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that came out at the same time that there were like, uh, I was playing that around the same time that, that there were those movies were coming out like Rocketeer and the shadow and phantom and stuff. And, um, and then that sort of just kind of ended because none of it was really hugely successful um i mean i think a couple of those movies did okay but none of them none of them changed the world um and i was just really greedy for more and that's never gone away and uh and no one's really producing it and i don't think i mean like they tried with sky captain but it wasn't kind of wasn't the same for me um so i was just like at some point when i started talking to, to joshua and he was really enthusiastic about it i was like well why don't we just do it why don't we just do what we want exactly. to see exactly and uh, and go, go from there. Well, and that's kind of the nice thing about right now is that you can, if you've got an idea, you can put it together and get it out into people's hands. I mean, you got to hustle, but yeah. it doesn't seem like you guys mind working hard to get the idea out. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and that's and that's something I've been doing. I, I indie published a f- novels, a few novels before this very different project. So I am at least nominally familiar with that side of things. And that is helping with the works, with the sort of production side of it. Yeah. So, well, I know Daniel, you published through somebody who was like an indie publisher, but who was primarily digital, who then went to print, right? That was your, your yeah, first well, book. Yeah. 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 We can, we did uh, digital first and then we have print on demand through Amazon. Yeah. Paperbacks, so. But these days, I mean, publishing and everything in publicity, it is still very much just getting out and shaking hands and slapping people on the back and buying them a beer. And it's it's sales, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so what in as far as this goes, have you found people to be pretty receptive to the idea of of pulp stories these days? I don't know. I mean, we have sold several copies mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we've been very pleased uh, with the kind of response on Patreon for the idea. Uh, I think that the idea is let's do adventure stories that don't apologize for being adventure stories, but do change the stuff that's kind of embarrassing about old adventure stories. I, I am not running into a whole lot of uh, resistance there at all myself. Um, so, no, I, I think... I think it's been pretty positive so far. Yeah, I mean, we have gotten a couple of reviews. And, you know, I mean, I feel like we're kind of in the, 
at at this point we're kind of ramping up. Definitely. I mean, our our first short story, and it is pretty short, admittedly. Um, I mean, Josh and I have kind of remarked up, up to among ourselves, between ourselves, uh, humorously, because his is quite a bit longer than mine. <laughs> I don't um, do short stories very well. <laughs> yeah, his is more novella sized, and like mine is mine is really short. Like I think each installment is like twenty pages or something like that, if if, if that, and it's just going to complete. Um, you know, so if people are going to be intrigued enough to go through all three issues and read both of our stories, I mean, they're just going to be getting to the end of the first installments, really. So I don't, I don't think we're really expecting people to right now be like, tell, like spreading the word. And, you know, I don't, we're not really expecting it to take off right away when we're building towards something much bigger. Ourselves. Oh, sure. And I think, I yeah, think so. more, more what I was interested in is, do you see that even as small as it might be, are people kind of having an interest in the style and genre more than, more than just an interest in your work specifically? I mean, is pulp really landing with the people who are finding your books? It's tough to say. We've only gotten a couple of reviews, but they've been positive. So, and yeah. I've had a couple of people talk to me like privately and say they really liked it. Mm-hmm. That's a, but that's about it so far. So. Okay. Well, yeah, because I mean, there is definitely a stylistic difference. I mean, it's very fast moving. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, that's they're, important to us. Like, yeah. That's a. I have. I'm big superhero guy, but I have massive origin fatigue at this point, and I'm like, just do the second movie in the series already. Well, here's you the know. F- yeah. I mean, as far as that goes, they used to hold back the origins on people. Uh, you know, you had this amazing person or this masked figure. They didn't tell you who he was necessarily. Or look at the first Batman movie. Shit, you he's didn't... already Batman because everybody knows who Batman is already. Yeah. It's well, fine. My, my great grandmother could have told you <laughs> Superman's origin story in 1979. You don't need to tell it to us again. You know that's yeah. the way I feel about it. Um, but yeah, I mean your stories are very fast moving. You go from a character having an aha moment to racing along in a car to get to a place to pick up a clue. You don't have a lot of interludes or exposition where it's not needed, which I enjoy reading because. Starting in the, like the eighties, everything became trilogy writing and seven thousand page epics. That was the only thing you could find in adventure or fantasy. So now, I, mm-hmm. here's a here's the thing. You can tell me you've read the first couple issues. You can tell me um, how it worked, but there aren't a lot of very exposition heavy scenes. But uh, Daniel can tell you, I was I was a little worried that um, in my second issue for Black Mask, I inject a lot more of his family drama and secret identity stuff. Now, it ties directly into the case, it turns out. But he, you know, at the beginning of the of that installment, he doesn't know that. And I still am like, he's walking down the hall, they're going to get in an argument, the doctor, you know, it's still going to be pretty slam bang for a family argument. Well, that was, I was what I was saying. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Because it's still, it doesn't detract from anything. It keeps moving forward. And then you realize it all ties in anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you guys are working. Here's the, I, I find your storytelling in this very economical. It's very straight ahead, very direct. And people that younger people or people who don't know, a lot of pulp used to get released in magazines and you had 16 to 20 pages to tell your story. And that concluded artwork. And this is very much in that vein. This is very much in that style where it is straight ahead, not a lot of screwing around with anything, no extra, no extra fat left on the bone. You know what I mean? 
And yeah. that's, I mean, I, I don't know if that was something you're shooting for, but that's something I took from it. And so yes, I definitely. At least me, it. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something I like anyway. I mean, like even when I was writing my fantasy novel, my, my editor told me to kind of like slow it down in a couple of places because it's like, yeah, this is the pacing is great, but you need to kind of like take a breath in a few places. I mean, I re- I do like really economical storytelling. Um, and yeah, the pulp, the pulp mode is a great way to just really hone that down. And I, I love the energy of that where you just have no wasted time where you're always moving towards something. It's just really fun. I think to both to read and to write. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's especially important in a urban adventure story or an urban action story where, you know, you want to go from, you know, a, a car chase to getting punched in the nose and you want the reader to feel it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, uh, yes, agree completely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that kind of that shows up in um, in everything that I, in the novels that I've written also. But but it, this doing it in mine will end up being a novella length piece altogether. But I still have to make this eight or ten thousand words a an exciting chunk of story that has its own beginning, middle, and end. That's also kind of a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, I mean, it forces me to go. Uh, I was telling Daniel, I wrote a very nice 2000 word scene earlier in this week, walked away for 10 minutes, came back and was like, that is not making it into the story. There's not enough going. <laughs> like 2000 words. Come on. That's 20% of my real estate. Hell no. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I really, I mean, that's kind of the way that I work anyway also, but this format definitely pushes you to that. What is the most important thing you are going to do with this six to 10,000 words or whatever? Yeah. yeah, I remember I was because uh, the next the next one that I'm doing after or the Lotus I was is is much longer by comparison and uh, I remember I had a scene where it was just like a bunch of characters at a party who were getting together and it was it was relevant to the plot but like people are just you know getting together and talking and sharing banter and and you know rattling off witty one-liners and so forth and I remember I got kind of kind of scared and I I you know I talked to Josh and I'm like. Josh, nothing's blowing up in this scene. Should I leave it in? <laughs> you know. Uh, I said, hell yes, because it was a wonderful <laughs> scene. But I also feel like I I accidentally added to that concern because that was. Sorry, everybody. Okay. That was me. <laughs> um, oh, I feel like I accidentally added to that concern because that was the day that I was like, I'm cutting this 2,000 words because it's getting in right. the way of the fight with the giant albino alligator. <laughs> And I feel like that was the moment when Daniel went, there are too many people talking at this party. (laughs) My my people are just fundraising. I can't compete with albino alligators. (laughs) Just the fact that you you got to say that sentence out loud qualifies for some kind of award. I am living my best life, you guys. I am living my best life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember we sat down. We had the conversation. Is an albino alligator too far? What are you talking about, of course? (laughs) Well, I'd say a talking gorilla isn't even too far for this kind of story. You need weird, I, right? I think we've got one in the pipeline for the future. No, we have uh, we have like the city of of intelligent uh, uh, apes, don't we? I we have discussed it because we have discussed it. It's not for sure, but yeah, because it's um, it does okay. So one thing, the ethos that we're really doing right now is very focused on Empire City. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, that's not to say that your your super intelligent gorilla problem couldn't bring itself to uh 
to Empire City, but you kind of have to, you know, that's where the focus is. We have talked that after the big, the big meta plot comes kind of comes together, that there are definitely some characters that are poised to leave Empire City after that. And it would be really, really cool for us to have worked ourselves to a point where maybe there is even a, uh, maybe something even as ambitious as a secondary magazine that isn't all mystery men in Empire City. That's more of those kind of like globe trotting adventure things. Yeah. So we've, yeah, I mean, I love that super intelligent gorilla stuff, man, for real. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, well, I don't think you can be into pulp without at least having been into uh, Tarzan and right. things similar to it. Yeah, Lost Cities, your yeah. your H. Ryder Haggards, your uh, uh, your She's, all that. Th- I mean, yeah, I I love all of those things. Now, the other trick, and this is not not to go too far down this this rabbit trail again, but the trick there would be for us to do it in a way that does not uh, completely insult and other an entire continent of people, which let's be yeah. honest, that's that's how that stuff started, you well, know? Yeah. And so it's very, I really like that challenge, thank God, because it's the challenge that is before us, but to try and like distill, um, distill out the parts that, that we like from those old adventure stories and see if those parts that we like can be suitably sort of separated from the stuff that makes them kind of awful. The, uh, our efforts in, um, Kodo demons, Bane, the, yes, the crime boss of the kind of Asian area, the Chinatown area of empire city. Big example of that. Lots of words discussed between Daniel and I of how to make that guy work in a way that wasn't just uh, mustache twirly Fu Manchu yellow peril. You know? Right. So, so it's yeah, it's definitely things we're we're chatting about. <laughs> yeah, there's so much cool stuff to get into there. God, I I am kind of excited to see what you guys end up doing with it. Yeah, Can, thanks. Are we? Should we talk previews? Is that a good segue? <laughs> I I think it's yeah. a good time for it. Uh, okay, Dan- Daniel, I think Daniel really likes my next idea a lot, partly because um, I am so just ridiculously pleased to wear my uh, my influences on my sleeve. Like, oh, if you already knew where I was cribbing this from, I don't care. <laughs> you know, uh, so the Victory Crusader is uh is my next mystery man after after the initial black mass story which i have one more part of that that'll be uh that'll be published the fiend factory finishes up next month and then after that you will get introduced to the victory crusader and his concept is he is an ex stuntman because for for meta plot reasons the movie industry never moved out west empire city is still very much the center of of filmmaking and uh the man who will be the the Victory Crusader is blackballed from Glenwood Studios, which is basically the only game in town uh, for anyone who wants to make reputable pictures. And boy, we have whole subplots built around the disreputable <laughs> pictures. Um, so he, then he has he has no job, uh, and he and isn't sure what he's supposed to do with the skills of fall off horses and jump out of windows. When he is approached by a failing muckraker newspaper to be their basically mystery man mascot, and they are they are the Victory Crusader. They are uh, they are centered in Victory Square, uh, which is kind of our Central Park 
okay. type area and has and has a big fountain that is dedicated to just all the soldiers that have ever come from Empire City, but specifically the ones who survived the Great War. Um, and and so they have like this Crusader fountain, and the newspaper took its name from that, and you know is had its heyday was a big muckraker is now kind of failing and has become a tabloid. And so they hire, they hire Frank to be their mascot mystery man. Little did they realize that he would also bring with him a small army of uh, street urchins from the donks, a poorer neighborhood in empire city uh, who are his newsy battalion. So that's, that's what's up. That's like the what is it? What do they used to call that in DC Comics? The Newsboys Legion. Exactly. Okay. This is this is. So I'm a huge Jack Kirby fan. I have some of his art permanently inked on my body, mm-hmm. and more of it to come. But in addition to that, I'm a big Grant Morrison fan, and he took that uh, the Guardian, the Golden Guardian. I there we go. Had, okay. And turned him into Manhattan Guardian, and then DC did nothing with it. And I thought the idea of a a superhero mascot for a basically a crowdsourced newspaper before crowdsourcing was even a word, you know, um, is it was really, was really a cool idea and I couldn't believe they never did anything with it. And so I believe I've definitely my influence there is on my sleeve, but, um, but at the same time I have filed enough of those serial numbers off that I'm, I'm, Doing a very different. Story. Well, yeah, I was going to say, good luck coming up with a wholly new concept. Anyways, oh, yeah. yeah, that's not even my concern. And seriously, anybody who was like, "Well, I read Manhattan Guardian," I would be like, "Well, high five. Yeah, because so did guess I. What? Yeah. My villains in the first story are subway pirates, just like in the first story of Manhattan Guardian, which he wrapped up in an issue. I'm going to give him a little more air to breathe because that is an awesome idea. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. So how about you, Daniel? What do you got percolating in there? Yeah, well, after after Lord of the Lotus just finishes up, I've got a new story called uh, the the Crimson Cloak in Dark Harvest, and my inspiration actually came from this uh, thing that I was reading. I was doing some research about the time period, and I was reading about the uh, the dust bowl and the you know the blight and the I was reading about the black rollers which were these huge dust storms that swept across the United States there there were like three of them in total and uh, at least two of them were so bad that they actually swept through like you had these huge black clouds of of dust rolling through New York City um, from the farms. Um, and I was reading about how all of the, uh, all of the, like all thousands of people, like, you know, left their farms and moved, of course they moved West. And of course I immediately, you know, called up Josh and I was like, what if all these people moved East instead? And they went, they came to our fictional city and he was like, yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, of course they did. <laughs> but I, so, been, so there's going to be Okies in your story is what you're saying. Yes. Yep. Yes. Are. Um, and not by but, the uh, guy actually from Oklahoma, because you know what? Living here, I'm sick of talking about him. No. <laughs> hey, I, no, no BS. Where I live, Oki is still an insult that occasionally gets thrown around. Yeah, yeah, wow. I believe it. I believe it. Sorry, Daniel. I did, that was. No, no. It's always no. struck me as humorously ironic. Yeah. So. No, it's fine. It's um, fine. It is still some, well. It's something I say, but only amongst other people that are also descended from Okies. But, you know, somebody will do something kind of uncouth. You just go, God damn, Okies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's accurate um, even if they stayed here. Honestly. Oh, but but uh, that's the thing is like, <laughs> well, you know, and here I'm in California. I'm actually the part of California we live in is an agriculture heavy area. So you literally had Okies and then the Portuguese and then the Mexicans. And you can watch kind of historically as the poorer parts of town were initially Okies and then the Portuguese mm-hmm. and then the Mexicans. And you still hear from like older people when somebody does something just like bottom of the barrel, they'll call somebody an Okie. And I still bristle. You know, I'm just like, oh, you can't, that's racist. You can't say <laughs> Kinda. that. Kinda. Sort of in a way. Yeah. 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 But so yeah, I, uh, that's kind the, of the thing amazing... about this was those black rollers. Mm-hmm. I had actually never heard about those because here locally, the story is the grapes of wrath story, right? The moving West, right. um, the black rollers was fascinating history to me that I was like, hell yeah, that's going in a story. Are you kidding? Oh, no, it's amazing. Well, and you know, yeah. a lot of, for... okay. So barring anything that's going to happen in the near short term, the largest ecological disaster we had ever had in this country was the dust bowl period. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, who was a president wrote in a journal about actually wiping his fingers in the White House through the dust that was being blown east from all the just the, all the crap in the air in Oklahoma. Yes, yes. And um, you know, younger people don't even have any idea that that happened anymore. They hear the dust bowl and they think, well, a hand, the handful of people couldn't find food and moved to California. That's not what it was, guys. <laughs> you know, it was a bigger problem than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, uh, this other pulp hero that I've created, uh, the Crimson Cloak is a, is a gentlewoman thief. She's sort of part, part the shadow, part Robin Hood. She's, uh, she comes from money. She steals from the rich and gives to the poor and she can, uh, she can make men obey her commands. Um, and, uh, the twist is that so that's not like, sexualized in some cheap way as it might be in literally any other story. But, um, but yeah, it's her running around with her driver, um, getting further involved with this, uh, this alien conspiracy, um, plot that we're building up and it's tied into, to, uh, agriculture and into, into the black rollers and the ecological disaster that's happening at the time. Yeah. That's really cool. My favorite part, you get more Andrea Ashby because I'm a big <laughs> Lois Lane fan and I love Andrea Ashby because of all those things. So she, yes. she gets wrapped up in it. Um, yeah. It's exciting. So I got to know because I was doing it when I was reading the dialogue. Do you, do you hear their voices the same way I do? <laughs> do you hear it in that 1930s, uh, oh, FDR absolutely. way? Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, I, yes. <laughs> so much. So much. Yeah, I uh, subscribe to a classic movies channel on on uh, my Roku that I that I watch a lot, and it, they like there's a bunch of lesser. I mean, it's like a buck a month, and they have a bunch of like movies that I'm pretty sure are just out of copyright, and that's why this channel exists. Um, that are like from the 30s and early 40s, you know, like a bunch of cop movies and stuff like that, and and they're just gold for that kind of stuff yeah. because everybody talks like that in there. I mean, I, you know, I mean, there's the classics of course, but it's, it's fun to find those out of the way films as well. Yeah. For we have an entire Slack channel devoted to period slang so that we don't lose any of it. <laughs> I was, I was just going to ask you how, how you do your research and story that because it is an accent that's almost dead too in the modern era. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, we have like I have it when I'm writing. I have a there's a couple of pages, like a couple of uh, fan pages of just that are devoted to like 1930s art and architecture and cars and you know and there's a there's of course slang pages like quite a few and I just have like a tab of it open at all times and if I can't if something nothing comes to mind immediately I'll go looking and seeing mm-hmm. if there's a piece of slang that I can wedge in there. That's amazing. There is. Yeah. Um, so, guys, we're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, if people want to find it, find Masks and Mysteries right now, where can they look? You can find them right right now because the the serialized parts are so short that any kind of actual printing would be stupid. Like they're they're just they don't work that way. Mm. So right now, the serialized parts you can find on. Um, I, Apple's iBooks, Barnes and Noble's Nook, and on your Amazon Kindle, each monthly issue is a dollar, and we are working our way up to collected editions as the stories finish. We'll put out the collected editions. So those are coming, and those will make more sense in print if you're more of a print book kind of person. But if you want to experience this with us in that kind of like cliffhanger monthly, what's going to happen next way, you can do it uh, through your Kindle app or your iBooks or... Um, your nook and i believe it's also available on amazon yes the 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 amazon kindle i may have just said kindle but yeah that's that's their their bookstore yeah, yeah. okay I, I was just making sure to, to have it clear out there but yeah i think you're right you did say kindle um and uh daniel if people want to find out more about you uh going forward where can they check you out at uh surlymuse.com is my blog and they can also find me on twitter uh, by the same name surlymuse very good and joshua i'm gonna derail this long enough to pitch our patreon right quick oh i'm sorry go right ahead no 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 i i only because the patreon we we love writing this stuff and we're gonna keep writing this stuff right um but the patreon is kind of where we feel like we get to do the the work, the uh, the more expansive work of it, yeah, which is to give back a little bit. Exactly. So if you if you read the first issue uh, and you like what you see, or if you hear this idea of I'd like adventure stories that I don't have to uh, feel embarrassed about reading because they're full of yellow peril or whatever. Um, if you visit Patreon.com/slash Pulp Diction Press, you can support us there, and all of that money is being turned right back around to us hiring artists, like visual artists, from marginalized communities to help us give the look to these prose characters. Uh, So part of your being a supporter there, you will get early access to that art, and we'll have it set up as um, uh, like screensavers for your computer or your phone and things like that. But we will also then take all that art and bundle it into the collected editions so that you know, if that's how somebody finds us, they get to see all this work by, um, you know, someone who is a person of color or is it uh, all different sexuality who might not otherwise get as much opportunity to get their art out there. That's fantastic. That's um, that's great. Um, I will make sure that in the show notes on uh, geekishcast.com, we put that info in there as well. Um, so I want to make sure we get that out there. And people can find your Pulp Diction publishing imprint at pulpdiction.biz, correct? That's right. It's pretty focused on me, honestly, because the website is older and Daniel and I's partnership is newer. But, uh, but yeah, you'll be able to – there's a newsletter there you can keep up with all, you know, all of this masks and mystery stuff. But also becoming a patron 
even, you know, even at the lowest tier, we'll make sure that you get all of the, uh, you know, all the news and all the issues. Fantastic. Yeah, we, we have a dedicated website for Mass and Mysteries that will be coming out, but it's not ready yet, so. Do you have the URL or anything yet so people can keep an eye out for it? Uh, yeah, there, there's nothing there now, but it's, uh, it's EmpireCityAdventures.com. Perfect, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, guys, did I miss anything you wanted to, wanted to get the word out about or say before we, uh, before we wrap up? Just in case anybody thinks that uh, my ramblings are interesting enough that they want to find me on Twitter, they can do that at Joshua Unruh. Um, mostly I'm yelling at my local government right now, so I really apologize, but that'll probably settle down by 2018. I just want to point out <laughs> I just want to point out real quick that we're talking to writers from Montana and Oklahoma who I'm assuming probably slant left a little bit. Um, yeah. how do you not just bash your head through a window every morning? No, that's literally how I start every morning. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> that covers that then. No, it's yeah, I uh my wife works for the state of Oklahoma. She works um in a, in a service that I will leave nameless, but is not exactly uh, well respected by our legislature. So I think the easiest way for me to answer that is with great difficulty. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, okay. But it's, you know, not enough people are here caring in the way that we believe people ought to care. So yep. here we are. I um, You know, I, I live in California. We're blue and we have been since the 80s. You know, um, I don't really talk politics very often, but I, I am now with President Luthor and his ties to apocalypse are out there. (laughs) I'm kind of thinking I may have to just let off of my don't really talk politics rule because I'm watching the world literally go insane as I stand here doing nothing. So, you know, just curious how people get by in areas where you may not feel comfortable, you know, saying out loud your actual political leanings. Because we're kind of like that where I'm at. This is a very red part of a very blue state. Oh wow! Yeah, I've taken up a life of Buddhist meditation. That's yeah. Like well, let me put it to you this way: we do, we went to dinner with some people who live here, but they're from Canada, and we were talking the other day, and one of them asked me something. I said, "Oh no, I'm an atheist." And one of them confided to me. They said, "I'm an atheist too, but around here, I just say I'm agnostic." wow yeah safer answer i will uh my approach to dealing with the vast majority of people that i uh that i politically disagree with here where i live i will wrap i'll explain my wife and i went to a town hall i am no longer allowed to sit next to my wife at a town hall and the reason for this is not that we disagree about anything other than our approach she wants to be respectful and open a dialogue, and I feel more like I am on some kind of confrontational performance piece that makes them look like jerks. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know that respectful. Yeah, you know, and this is probably. No. I don't know that respectful is usable anymore. We agree to disagree. Like I understand completely why that is her approach. She works mm-hmm. in the you know in the area. She ha- and and so me sitting across the room is plausible deniability. Yeah, I yeah, I imagine that's that. Um guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up, but you know, if we we want to BS a little bit, that's fine too, but um yeah. everybody please go check out Mass and Mysteries. Uh like I said, you can find them at uh, pulpdiction.biz. You can find Daniel, give me your uh, Twitter one more time. Surly Muse. Surly Muse and Joshua yours was 
Joshua Unruh. U N R U H. U N R U H. Perfect. And guys, in the meantime, you can catch us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on Google Play, SoundCloud, and we now do live episodes almost every Thursday at Blog Talk Radio. Catch you all later. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus. Check them out at reignofzeus.net.